Welcome, good evening. Um, so this week is an exciting week. It's Parshas Vezchanon, it's Shabbos Nachamu. Coming up this Shabbos, this week is the week of Nachamu. Nachamu means be comforted, be comforted. We're entering in seven, into a period of time of seven weeks of comfort. And we can use comfort. The, the Jewish people are waiting for comfort. If ever Nachamu has been speaking to us, it's speaking to us this year. Um, and and it, if we think about literally the days that we're standing right now, today's the 10th day of, um, of, and it's going into the 11th day of of. Now, the 9th and the 10th day of of were both the days of the destruction of the Beis Amigdash. Uh, the destruction happened on the 9th, but towards the afternoon. And it continued, the temple continued burning the Beis Amigdash until the 10th. That's where we know that there are many restrictions and laws regarding the morning that don't let go until midday today. Regarding laundry, regarding various different things. Eating meat, we weren't supposed to eat meat until midday today. Um, so that's 9 and 10. That's super low, super dark. But immediately after that, we're already in the 11th day, and we're resuming towards the 15th day of Av, which is the greatest holiday, the greatest Yom Tif. As the sages tell us, there was no greater holiday for the Jewish people like the Yom Tif of the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. So we immediately go from super low to super high, just like that. And that's very um, relevant to us now. We all sense that we've hit rock bottom. The year and what has ever happened this past year has been very, very difficult for us. Very difficult for us as a people. Um, just to just to put it into perspective, you know, we talk about um, the, the, the outbreak of COVID uh, about a year and a half ago, um, all the loss of life, all the loss of ordinary interaction between people, the entire, uh, the, 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 the lockdowns we've been through, the, the, the other restrictions, the difficulties, and for many people, to a much greater degree, people that were at greater risk. Um, it's immense um, physical suffering, and those who have gone through the illness, and those who lost loved ones. Um, the, the physical illness and the psychological um, toil that this takes, and this has taken on people across the world, not being able to visit relatives, not being able to be together, not being able to meet people, you know, parents with children, children with parents. This is enormous. It's enormous. Uh, for a couple of months, the restrictions of davening in shul, uh, community life, and the on and off. I was on the phone today with, um, we had a little Zoom meeting with a group of people, and one, one, someone was uh, in South Africa, in Johannesburg, and he was, he was on a bus with campers coming back, and he was telling us that they better get in time because they think they're going to arrive after curfew. He said, do you understand how ridiculous that is? Who would have ever thought a year and a half ago we'll be talking about curfew? So in South Africa, there's curfew. Um, this is such, such craziness. From a regular normal world we've had just a little while ago. A regular normal world. And now it's spiking again, and this here and there. Um, very dark very dark period of time. And then, like, this would, this would be considered 
enough of a tragedy and a devastation, even if it wouldn't be in a continuation of the corona, what happened to us in the last couple of months, beginning on Lagba Omer with the horrible tragedy in Maron, followed by, which somehow has, has hit, and okay, what I'm saying is that the Jewish people particularly, even the COVID hit us very strong, the Jewish communities, right at the beginning, in New York and Israel, different places, it hit pretty strong. And then this horrible accident in, in Israel on, 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 uh, on, during Maron, and followed by the, it, people don't even talk about it so much because there's so much tsarist that happened in the last couple of months, so much inconceivable things, but the cable car that fell down in Italy, from all people, people, tourists going somewhere, <laughs> you know, this didn't even happen, in, something happens in Israel, in a major Jewish community, you expect the Jews were there. But why was it that the one cable car that falls down in some Italian, uh, on some Italian mountain happens to have a family of five Jewish people? It's, this is inconceivable. Followed by the collapse in, in, in Karlin, on, on right by Shavuos, the onset of a holiday on Shavuos, where the bleachers fell down and three Jews died and many were injured. It was just horrific. And, and, and then culminating in Surfside, may this have been already the last of what we call the patches that we've gotten. But we've gotten some more than we can handle. And again, there as well, you know, how many buildings are there in the world? How many buildings are there in the United States? Out of all places, a place where so many of our brethren. So this has been very, very intensely difficult and hard. And we come out now of a period of three weeks, and that actually happened right before the beginning of the three weeks. So I think it's very important for us to, 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 to understand the, the, the concept of the three weeks followed by the seven-week period of, of comfort. The three weeks are called the three weeks of trouble, pitanusa, they're called trouble. And then there's seven weeks of comfort. And it's reflected in the Haftorah. Because all year long we say a Haftorah, a portion of Navi, and where the Navi um, is, is uh, compatible with the parasha. It's the same subject. Why choose that passage of the Navi, of the prophets? It's compatible with the parasha. It's the same theme of the parasha. But the Ramam says, not, not the last 10, um, and it also says so in the Torah, not the last 10 weeks of the year. We conclude the year where the Haftorah diverges from the Parsha because it's not the subject of the Torah portion. It is its own theme. It's the theme of the harsh exile and God's comfort where Hashem is, Hashem is comforting the Jewish people and, um, and uh, cuddling us. So for seven weeks... For seven weeks, we experience God's comfort. So, in in the mystical, in the in, in mysticism, it explains the connection. Nothing is random. If it's three weeks and seven weeks, three weeks of rebuke, and seven weeks of comfort, the numbers three and the number seven are related to that. So it is explained, basic Kabbalah that there are ten sefirot, ten attributes. Three of them are intellect, 
and seven of them are emotion. And that's how Hashem relates to the world. So if you have a period of ten, which ten immediately connects to the ten sphero, the ten attributes, and it's divided in seven and um, in three and in seven in two sets of three and in seven, it immediately, inevitably, meaning on itself, already makes the connection. And what's the connection? Intelligence is private. What a person understands, how a person is thinking, their mental, you know, their, their, their intellectual uh, state of being is private, unless they decide to share it. But they don't necessarily have to share it. One's inner opinions about things. Emotions, by their very definition of an emotion, is that emotion is bubbly. Emotion is excitement. And when a person has an intense emotion, then that excitement reveals itself to the outside. Emotion is more, far closer to expression to the outside. Yes, it's possible for a person to hide an emotion, but if you have an intense emotion, it's difficult to hide the emotion. Then naturally, the emotion does come out. But intellect, you have an idea, and not necessarily anybody's going to know about it. Because the nature of intellect is for yourself, for, for the person himself. It's an inward entity. Emotion is expressed outward. So that's the concept of the three weeks and the seven weeks. Uh, the three weeks are God's intelligence. And being that it's private, so every year when we experience the three weeks, it doesn't mean, God forbid, that there's some, something really bad that's happening. It means that we are in the realm of concealment. God is doing something, but it's not yet showing, He's not yet revealing it to us. It's not in the realm of revelation. So therefore, in the world, as we, we're in the dark, and we experience darkness, we experience difficulty. When it comes, however, the seven weeks, then whatever he was thinking or doing, which has to be for the good, because God is good, and is always, and is always um, developing and always uh, producing something good, um, when it comes down into the emotions, then it's expressed, and we as well can see the goodness. So it's like, you know, the idea of, of, of someone doing something that sometimes mysteriously looks bad, but uh, uh, if you know this, this being is someone that means you're good, it's a good friend, so even if it seems like they're doing something that's bad, you give them the benefit of the doubt that something good, they're planning something good, their intentions are good, and you might not see it yet, but you will see it one day. It will really, really be good. When we're talking about a parent and a child, it's definitely that way. We can trust a parent, a parent that loves a child, a parent that's not messed up, a decent, good, loving parent will only do things that are good for their children. But the child doesn't always conceive and understand the goodness of what the parent is doing. So the Alter Rebbe, for instance, of Shneir Zalman of Liadi, speaks about hardships in life. And in chapter 22 in his letters, in the back of the Tanya, he has a very strong letter. It's a little bit of a, it's, a, it's an intense letter, but very powerful letter, 
where he's complaining that the Hasidim are coming and running and begging the Rebbe uh, when they experience any kind of trouble, they come running to the Rebbe for help. And the, and the Alter Rebbe is saying, I, I want to be your mentor in spiritual matters. And uh, if you're going through hardships, um, you really, the real best way to deal with it is to understand and appreciate that God is acting with you uh, on a little bit of a higher level. He's extending to you a higher goodness. You might not understand it right now, but if you accept it, eventually the good that he is giving you will one day be understood and appreciated, and then you'll really understand what was going on. So instead of rejecting it, I mean, obviously the Alter Rebbe is speaking on a very high level, a person to accept all the hardships that are happening and not even try to alleviate them, not try to run to a tzaddik and a rebbe to try to annul the decree. If you're going through something harsh, the Alter Rebbe says it's because God is dealing with you for, for something very deep that right now you don't understand. So he gives the example and he says, of Rachman, like a compassionate father, Chacham v'tzadik, a wise one, and tzadik and a, and a righteous person, Hamake benoi, who hits his child, a, a wise child should not turn around and run away and seek people that can intercede in his father, that his father shouldn't slap him again. Imagine, you know, a kid gets hit, he starts calling all of his father's friends. <laughs> can you speak to my dad to please stop? Now, if the father is an abusive person and he doesn't have any self-control and he's totally a madman, I can understand that sometimes the child will either call the police <laughs> or he will call uh, 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 social services or we will call friends that might be able to, or the rabbi or whatever it is, might be able to intercede on his half to save him from his, from his uh, crazy dad. But, 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 but when you're talking about a normal, kind, loving dad, and if the dad for whatever reason does slap his child at a certain time, a wise child does not try to uh, tries to recognize why did I get it? So the, uh, my father loves me. He must be. I, I must be in such a in such a, a, a um, 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 negative state that in order to fix it, this is what's necessary. So why don't I, it, it should wake him up? It should like really give him a shake up at the core. Say, listen, hey, I got I got to repair the situation. So therefore, to find someone to, uh, to speak good for his father. Anyway, he should look at his father face to face. And then the Alter Rebbe says, in the end, and the awesomeness of it is when a person recognizes that our father is this awesome king who is like this, this, his greatest king. And yet... Who's a, who's 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 a, who's a, a, a ruler over 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 half the globe, and who's who's taking the time to cleanse to wash himself. It's like a father changing the diaper of his little a father who is a, a huge king. Right? Usually doesn't do anything himself, but he himself for his prince is changing the diaper and literally cleaning him up. And the child might be, you know, you know, uncomfortable. But when we recognize who is the one who's cleaning us, we realize that it's a greater good. That's what the Alter Rebbe says. What, what is this an example? This is just an example that sometimes things are difficult and they're rough and they're harsh. And from the source, it is really, 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 really something super good 
but the child is still in pain. You know, he got he got hit. The child is is as you know is being cleaned and doesn't like it. Doesn't like it. The baby doesn't like the washing of the pamper, uh, the washing of their diaper. They they really don't like it. But what the child does like, what happens a minute after the pamper is changed, and the father takes his little hand and plays you know on the little belly of the child and pokes him around and tickles him. So that little baby that seconds before thought of their father as being, because the kid is kicking, right? You know, kids, you know, the kids that change their pamper and they don't like it. So they're kicking and they're, and their father at that moment in the mind of the child is their worst torturer. And yet, but it, what does a kind father do? The father wants to show I love you. So the moment after the change, the, 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 the pamper has been changed, the father plays peekaboo with the child tickles the child, plays with the child, and the kid is laughing, and he sees again the love, that harsh face. It might even be a second where the father's being harsh because he's fighting with this, with this reluctant child. But a second later, he purposely shows the child such love. And at that moment, the, father, the child feels, the little baby feels the warmth coming from the father. That's, the, that's what happens three weeks. That's the idea. When the father was changing the diaper, it was just as much love. Not only was it just as much love, perhaps even stronger love. Because when you have to overcome your immediate compassion to do something good for your child that hurts a moment, you really have to dig out a lot, a lot of love, a lot of intense love. But at this moment, as it is being communicated, it's not being communicated to the child because the child is not a vessel and a container to be able, this is what we say before, the three weeks represent a heightened goodness that's still in the inside. It's not yet communicatable. It's not yet given to us. Seven weeks is the warm glow and the love that literally God hugs every single one of us and loves us so deeply, showing us such a smiling, laughing face, as we know that during these seven weeks, we go into the month of Elul, where we know the, the, the example of Elul is that the king is in the field and he's smiling to everybody. And he's, it's, it's an amazing time of closeness that comes dafka precisely after the hard time. Now, if this is an explanation for the entire exile, that the exile God doesn't mean bad, and for all the ferociousness and all the darkness and all the persecution and all the suffering and all the death and all the hardship that we've been through, that, that, that one day we will see how it was always really good, it was our Father Himself cleaning us for the ultimate redemption, how much more so is it the last seconds before Mashiach comes? When we've experienced a year that we can't unfathomable, if you think about the last, as I mentioned, the last year and a half and all the tragedies and all these things that happened, it must be that this was a period of three weeks. This was a period of enormous, Hashem is brewing with something awesomely good for us. But again, on the, on the communication level to us, it's painful. And that's what's so beautiful about the moment that we are right now. Because now we're in the moment when it can all transition into the smile, the glow, the love. That's the time. We're in the season where, where the communication starts. We're moving from the three, we're going into the seven. Where, the, where God is extending his emotional... Um, it's who, what? 
what his intentions are, are emerging out into the emotions where we can detect it, we can see it, and we can feel the love and feel the embrace. So this is literally this year more than any time in my life in which, in which the three-week transition to the seven weeks of comfort is relevant, important, and so, so, so meaningful. Now, um, last week in the class, I've discussed the concept that the time that we're, we're, we're like in the twilight zone. We're, we're in between the exile and the redemption. So we're living through, you know, intense stuff because it's an intense time, because it's transitioning time. Last week we spoke about we have to drop and let go of the fixing state of mind, which is exile. It's a time when we have to repair and fix. And we have to move more towards the messianic era. And it's a time when we're just living in goodness. We're not about repairing because everything that needed to be repaired is repaired already. We just need to get involved intensely with good things and grow in goodness because, and not deal with negative because negative is finished already. That's what we discussed next, last week. And discussed that that's the idea that in Bamidbar we're still mentioning the area where the Jewish people stood is called Arvos Moav, the plains of Moav, the, 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 the dark side of Moab, which was the last fixing that needed to be fixed. And now we're already Aver Hayardain, we're already standing in the same place. We're still, the Jews are still standing in the same place, but their attitude had to change. Moshe is changing their attitude from seeing themselves as the last moment of exile to being poised for the entrance of the land of Israel, for the, for the beginning of the awesome time of Mashiach. So similar to that, we see in this week's parsha, Parsha's Vezchanon, and its connection, as we're soon going to see, to this, to the Haftorah of this week, of Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, in which we find this, this, some themes that really, really connect to our time, and to, literally to this year, in such a powerful way, in such a meaningful way. So first of all, the thing about Parshas Vezchanon is that when you really take a step out, there's so much in this Parsha. There's so, there's Shema Yisrael in this Parsha. There is the Aseres Adibros, the Ten Commandments. God is rehearsing or, 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 or re-reviewing the giving of the Torah. Uh, there is so many powerful verses in, in Parshas Vezchanon. It's, 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 uh, it's crazy, the richness of this Parsha. And you can get lost in every Pasuk of Vezchanon and spend a lifetime. What we do, however, today is take a bird's eye view and look at the entire Parsha. And then, and we zoom out, and we see that there's something about this parsha and next week's parsha, which are the first, which is also related to this Shabbos, because this Shabbos, by Mincha, we start reading already the next parsha, which is Parsha's Eken, in which we see the idea that we spoke about before, the meeting point of the end of darkness and the beginning of light. That's the theme we're just talking about, where darkness ends and light begins. Even, the, even though the darkness is good, as we spoke earlier, gamzul latova, it's all good, but it's still a diaper change, and it's painful. So it's 2,000 years of that three-week period. That's a lot. Now we're in the transition. Now we're definitely, things are going to get bright. 
things are going to get very, very bright. And we need to be confident and sure and live in that mindset that things are going to get good. This is not chas v'shalom going to spiral further down. It has to get good. It will definitely get good. And by us being confident in the goodness, it will trigger it even more and reveal it even more. But in the Parsha as well, we see that Parsha's Veschanan is actually talking about our days more than any other time. Highlighting our time. Why? So the Rebbe says this. That it, re- it, it, it relates tafka to achris ayamim, the last seconds, as we stand at the threshold of the redemption. Why? He says, when you look at Parsha's Veschanan, you see it's a very all-inclusive Parsha. Meaning it, it speaks about aspects that are not details in, in Judaism, but it talks about the full collective experience of Judaism. First of all, it spans time. In, it, it, it has the main story of the giving of the Torah. It's, it, it recalls the giving of the Torah and God's gathered us at Har Sinai and the, 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 the revelation at Sinai. But before that it says, speak to the first, uh, 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 go find out from the earliest of times, the Pasuk says, uh, Hanishma, was there, was there ever something like this? That, uh, let me read it to you. Uh, the Pasuk says, um, Rewind, look back, open the history books. Go back all the way in time. Ask the old, the ancient generations. Speak to those who lived in the past. From the day from the day that God created man on the earth, from the first day of creation. So Parshas Veschanon, you don't have too many psukim that in Bereshis it talks about the first day of creation. Parshas Veschanon rewinds you back to the beginning of time. Speak to all the people, speak to all the generations, ask everybody. Was there ever such love? Was there ever, ever such an intimate moment between God and the creation? Between Hashem and the world? And Hashem came down to speak to you, His children. You have the giving of the Torah. And then you have, as we said before, the, 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 the Shema. If you ask a Jew, what's the verse you need to know as a Jew? And if you want to communicate that you're a Jew and you don't speak a person's language and you know for sure that those people will have you know, compassion on you because if you tell them you're Jewish, you'll scream Shema. There are stories like that when, when Jews were fighting on two sides of, the, uh, of, 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 of a war. You know? Some were fighting for the Austrian Empire and others were fighting for who was on the other side. I don't know who they were fighting against by the First World War. In any case, and there was a moment where you know, and a sudden guy reels that the other guy's Jewish and he's ready to shoot him. And they, and they cried, he didn't speak the language, but he cried, Shema Yisrael, Shema Yisrael, a Jew will not kill a Jew. So that, that's the line, that's the line we say when children are born before their bris, the night before, little kids come, say Shema Yisrael, and that's the, that's the last words a Jew utters from his lips. And that, it's the first thing we say in the morning, we say Modani, but we pray, we say Shema Yisrael in the morning, and that's what we say on, our, on the bedtime Shema. So this is Hero Israel, this is the declaration of our faith, the unity of God. So, our, our, our ideology is in Shema Yisrael. And then you should love God, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul. So again, there's no individual mitzvah here. In specific mitzvah, we're talking about the general state of a Jew's attachment and excitement and dveikus to the Eberster. You love Hashem with all your heart, which all your heart means your entire being. It means your Yetzah Tov and your Yetzah Hara. That means all of you. There isn't a part of you that's not in a Bechol all your soul. 
And b'chol ma'odecha, which the sages say means all of your wealth. That means that the energy of the Jewish connection, the Jews' energy, the Jews' commitment, the Jews' fire for God is literally felt in all their possessions. That's expansion. It's not just kept inside the person. It's felt in all their possessions. And then at the end of the, the first chapter, because only you don't have a whole Shema, only Vahafta. And what, what mitzvah do you have? The mitzvah of tefillin. But also, which we know the whole Torah is compared to tefillin, but also the mezuzah. Which the mezuzah is means declaring your entire, your entire estate belongs to Hashem. And we know that the mitzvah of the mezuzah, the Rambam says, serves as a reminder that you belong to God when you walk out of your house and you walk onto the street. In other words, you're taking God with you by passing through your front door with the mezuzah. You're taking Hashem with you to the street, which means into all your interactions. Now the mitzvah of mezuzah is also that you're supposed to put a mezuzah on the house, on the door of your city. And of your country, if there's doors, there's supposed to be a mezuzah. Which means basically the expansion of a Jew's connection to God and holiness and declaration of God's unity into everything. Influencing the whole world. Again, what's the theme? The theme is beginning with a Jew's inner soul and inner ideology, inner mind, our perception of truth. We know the truth. Our declaration of truth, our affirmation of the truth. God, you are one as I feel it in my inner soul. But it's not only staying in my inner soul, it's expanding as far as I can reach. Farther and farther and farther on the gateways of my home. Everything I own to the most external, farthest places I can reach. It's all under God's unity. So we're talking about from the beginning of time. As we mentioned earlier, the giving of the Torah. The general theme of a Jew's connection to Hashem. And then from there we reach the end of Parshas Veschanan, which the end of Parshas Veschanan is what? The last Pasuk. It says, You should observe the mitzvah and the statutes and the laws. That I am commanding you, to do them. The last Pasuk of Veschanan. You should observe everything I'm commanding you today to do them. So what does that mean today? So simply it means today. Hashem gave us the Torah. He commanded us to do them. Rashi says that the Hayom Lasosam, the word today actually means an era. Today is not a day. Today is an era. Which era? From when God gave us the Torah until the day Mashiach comes. The entire period of action. So the sages say like this, today you do the work, Tomorrow you reap the rewards. Today you do the work, tomorrow you get the reward. So then what does Ayom Lasosa mean? The last words of Ishanan contains within it the entire project of all the generations, of all the Jewish people throughout all of time. It's all considered the project of today. In the work that we need to do today, which means in all of time, until we reach the morrow. The morrow is the morrow of reward. The morrow of godly revelation in this world, the time of the messianic age, and the time of the resurrection. That's the real time of the reward. So what's the idea over here? The idea over here that is, Parshas Veschanon, is not a detail in Judaism. If you want to learn one Parsha to give you the overall basics, I know my daughter wanted very much, She's a smart girl, my daughter. Smart woman. (laughs) 
when we made the Balshem to say for Torah, and everybody you can choose which parsha you want to have. So my daughter said, I want Vezchanan. And I knew, and she said, Why? You know, it's 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 the parsha. <laughs> she had the understanding, you should connect your mind to your heart. It's like as rich as it gets. And the conclusion, the entire avoda of a Jew, everything that needs to get done in our entire work in this world. So we would think it covers everything. But the Rebbe says, mostly when the work gets done, which means those who complete it. Those that, are, those that have merited, those unique souls, that for whatever reason, inexplainable, that we can never fathom, they're the ones who happen to be the lucky ones to be alive at the time of the finishing touch. Yes, it's going to be a time of such madness and of such incomprehensible craziness that we are watching every day. But when we balance that and knowing that we're the ones literally the ones who are going to witness the transition of the darkness to the light, the purpose for what all of creation, we're going to watch that magical moment unfold when we move from the end of this day to the beginning of tomorrow. We conclude the work. This is, this is our generation. And he says, you know what? It's not just the, 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 the again, so what's the point? Our generation is the one that concludes La Soisam, we finish the work and we get ready for the morrow, which is the reward. The next parsha, Vahoya Ekev Tishmaon, it will be when you will listen. So the sages give Vahoya Ekev, it will be as a result of your listening. It will be as a consequence of your listening. But this, this, this is a strange term used over here. The Torah uses the term ekev. It should have said, not v'hoya im tishma'on, or v'hoya lema'an tishma'on. It will be because of, or that, ekev. Ekev means in the heels of your listening. Which means simply in the heels, because the heels is the, when you completed listening, and you get all the way to the bottom, you finish the job to the very last details, which is considered the heels. Then as a result of that comes the next. That's why heels could be considered result of. But it's a little far-fetched. There are much better words to express as a result of. Why the word akev? So there's two pirushim in the word akev, based on two midrashim. One pirush is it's talking about akev tishmon. It's talking about in the end of days when you will listen. We know that the time before Mashiach comes is called the Akev of time. Akev means the heels. There is an expression called Ikvasa de Mashiach. Ikvasa de Mashiach means the footsteps of Mashiach or the heels of Mashiach. Which doesn't only mean that there is a time like today, which every day we can hear the thundering footsteps of Mashiach getting louder and louder and louder and louder. As we look around, if we take a little bit of a deeper look, we see Mashiach written all over the place. The world is literally thundering with the Giyula behind the external, external film of darkness, which I admit exists, which distracts us, 
But if you just go a little deeper and you really analyze what's happening, you see Geula Mashiach is really all over the place. It's waiting to burst open. So that's one meaning of Ikvas of the Mashiach. We hear the footsteps of Mashiach, but it also means the state of the Jewish soul. We are the souls that are called the foot souls. Not only are we the foot souls, we are the heel souls. We are the heels, the souls at the bottom, 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 bottom. And we finish, because Adam Arishan, all Neshamas, as we know, according to the Arizal, all souls were once part of Adam. And then the earlier generations were the head. And it goes lower, 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 and lower until we get what we call the bottom of the barrel, the bottom of the souls, the souls all the way at the bottom. And they're given the great honor and this chus to do the final, final work. So one pirish in the Medrash is Vahoya Ekev Dishmoin means it will be the work that you will do in the time of Ekev, when you will listen in the end of days. Similar to the idea that in the end of days the Jewish people will do Teshuvah. And that really all the good that's going to come for the Jewish people is going to come about as a result of our last touch that we do. But there is another Midrash. And the Midrash reads, that it's not referring to the last moments of darkness, but rather it's referring to the first moments of Mashiach. Because according to the other Midrash, the sages say, the reward is not now. The reward is at the end. In the end. So in other words, according to the second interpretation, Ekev Tishman is not talking about the last struggling generation. That happened the last 50, 70 years post-Holocaust. That's the last generation building Judaism up to greet the Mashiach. The final finishing touches that we needed to fix. The last tikkunim that we needed to do. No, no, no. We're finished that already. Ekev tishmoin means the reward that comes after all of that. So we're talking already the beginning of the messianic era. And the simple, the simple meaning of the Pasuk seems to imply that. God says, God is then going to give you. He's going to observe for you. He's going to watch for you. He's going to guard for you. He's going to keep for you, rather a better word. He's going to keep for you as a bris, the covenant, as a chesed, and the kindness, that he has sworn to your fathers. So, where does Parshas Ekev put us? Where does Parshas Ekev put us? Parshas Ekev puts us right at, right at the twilight zone that I spoke about last week. Right in between the end of the work, which is the last the last period of time in which we, the lowest souls, so to speak, the last generation, gets to do the last final touches for Mashiach, but it's still in the time of exile. And Vahoya Ekev Tishman also means we turn over the page, it's the next chapter. It's already the time of Mashiach. Where do we stand today? Everybody of us can choose if we want to be the Ekev of the end of Golis, or we're already living in the lights of Mashiach. This is where we stand today. It's, it's, it's our choice. It's our focus. We focus on the darkness, we will see the darkness. Yes, even if we know that the darkness is the last darkness, but we're still focusing on the darkness. We're still looking at dark stuff. We open up every day the news and look for all the troubles and all the suffering. Like I did at the beginning of the class today. Talk about all the troubles and all the suffering. We have to talk about it because we all fall into that darkness. 
We all get caught up, but the problem is we can't. We get stuck over there. So then the understanding is that we're also living in a complete different time. We're living already at the time the Rebbe said that it's the beginning of Yemaisa Mashiach. It's already the beginning of the Giyula. Hashem is now already starting to keep all the good things is about to happen. It's happening already. It's just that it requires us to open up a little bit more. So what do we have over here? So now what we get over here is both in Ve'eschanon and in Parshas Ekev. We both, we have a connection. See, both these parashiyas, when do we read it? We read it at this junction of time, every year. Tisha B'Av always comes out in between Devarim, which is always Shabbos Chazayin, and Veschanan. It's never different. Veschanan is never Shabbos before Tisha B'Av. It's always. That means Veschanan and Ekev are always the Shabbos, always the weeks right after Tisha B'av. So, in time, three weeks, and especially Tisha B'av, represent the dark period, and the difficult time, and the exile, and the, and the end of exile, because Tisha B'av is the end of three weeks. So, in the end, even though Tisha B'av happened, <laughs> it instigated the exile, but as it applies to a three-week period, Tisha B'Av means, God forbid, the Holocaust. It means what happens to the Jewish people at the end of exile. We've been through the worst already. We, we, not just the worst already. We've been through all of it already. But we're still, we're still there at that last point. And as we discussed at the beginning of the class, the, the horrors that we saw this year. And now, and exactly at this point, what's happening? We're at the transitioning. Shiva de Nechmasa, seven of comfort. Now what do we find? Something very interesting. How do we go from here? We would think, if we're at such a low state, physically, mentally, emotionally, and definitely spiritually, we're so drained, we're so exhausted, we're so wiped out, we're so depressed, we're so broken, so we would think that what? That in order to move into the next state, gotta take it easy. Go very slowly. Go very slow. Just like physically, you know, when they, when they liberated the, the camps, uh, they, they made a big mistake, the, the American soldiers. They, they came into these camps and people were starving and they gave them food. And the people grabbed and they couldn't eat. They couldn't eat. They didn't have stomachs to eat. Their stomachs were so so shrunk they couldn't eat them many of them died they couldn't handle the food so we all know they have to take it very spoon feed them slowly 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 till you develop you grow you can you can you can you so the comfort you know when you when when someone goes through something very difficult and you extend comfort and there's levels of comfort there's levels there's a point of comfort where you reach a point where you can see the good in everything that happened and you can actually reach a moment of complete peace and tranquility and even joy in something that was hard. When you're really comforted, when you really, really understand the ultimate good in it. But is that the way to start talking to someone when someone has just gone through something very difficult? If you're going to give comfort, you give a very small, little, 
you show a tiny little glimmer of light, a little silver lining in the path, in the suffering. Like people go to a shiva and they say, when, when someone suffered, you know, they say, oh, you know, they suffered so much, at least right now they're, they're in a better place. So is that a comfort? <laughs> For the person who watched their, their loved one suffering? Yeah, a little bit of a comfort. Right now they're in a better place. But, 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 and that's the right way. That, that, what else can you say? You move very slowly. And then eventually, as time will pass, time will bring healing. Good friends, people to hold the person's hand and to add comfort and comfort and comfort until one day you can deliver full comfort. But for whatever reason, we don't find that with God. We get the full heavy dose of comfort. The full dose, the full syringe. He's not giving us an ounce at a time. It's seven weeks, but in the first week, bang! What do we hear? Nachamu, nachamu ami. And we know whenever the Torah says double, double means a huge portion. Double is an infinite portion. Double doesn't only mean two times. Double means over and over and over really represents infinity. That means in one moment, we were just sitting in the, in the ashes. We're sitting on the floor. Tish above. We're withering in pain and sorrow and suffering. And Shabbos after... Shabbos doesn't always have to be a few days later. This year Tisha B'Av came out on Sunday. We do have a couple of days to catch our breath. But even like that, it's the first Shabbos. Save the Nachamu, Nachamu Ami for the last week. Start with small little increments. Say one time Nachamu. The question, I don't think most of us would think of the question, but if you really, really experience the MS of what's happening, you wonder, how oh, this, this is intense. So fast? Let's dance immediately? Such, such joy, such happiness. How does it work? How do we move from the darkness to the light at such speed? It's this idea is expressed also in the parasha expressed also in the parsha, because the opening of the parsha, parsha's ve'eschanon, talks about ve'eschanon el Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu says, "I pleaded with God." Moshe says, "I pleaded with God." Ve'esahi at that time, and Rashi gives an inter- interpretation of what means "I pleaded." You understand? Moshe is pleading with God to let the Jewish people to let him go to Israel. God told him, you can't go. Moshe wants to go into Eretz Yisrael. So Rashi is saying, it's an interesting word, eschanan. What does eschanan mean? So Rashi says, two interpretations. The first Pirush is, eschanan means, Moshe was asking for a gift from God, an undeserved gift. Moshe was saying, I don't want you to, I'm not asking based on what I deserve, I want a free gift from you. I want you to, be, to, to give me a present and allow me to go into the land of Israel. The word, the eschanan, comes from the word chinam. He says, I want it to be, you know, from your goodness, not because I deserve. 
And Rashi goes on to explain that that's the way tzaddikim do. Tzaddikim, when they ask God, they're not asking based on their deservance. Even though they have so much credit, they don't want to ask. They don't feel. They're humble. They don't feel they deserve anything. So when they say, you know, I don't deserve, but please God, you have infinite kindness and infinite mercy. Do it, for, do, do it out of your goodness. That's the meaning. Then Rashi explains, a second pirush, Ve'ezchanon, is one of the ten languages of prayer. It's the second pirush, second explanation. It's one of the ten languages of prayer. Now, remember the rule. Rashi is always, uh, Rashi is always interpreting for a little child. Because Rashi writes, I am staying simple, and the simple learning of Torah of Chumash is for little children, because... I mean, if, if you're interpreting Chumash on the simple level, you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta include everybody who's learning Chumash because people that learn on a more sophisticated level, they're older. But those who want to learn simple, which you say you are the commentator of simple, so you gotta provide for all your students, for the five-year-old. So, uh, someone who has a little bit of a sense of Hebrew knows that Chinun... It's one of, it's, it means prayer. So if Rashi wants to say it's, it's one of the ten, fine. But that should have been the first pirush. In the simple meaning. Moshe's praying. Then you're getting a little more sophisticated over here. Chinon is not just a regular prayer. It's a prayer where you're asking that it should be a free gift from above. A gift. But Rashi doesn't do that. He starts with the gift from above. Now what does it really mean on a mystical level, on a deeper level? What does it mean a free gift from above? A free gift from above doesn't only mean I don't have credit. It means that we're trying to evoke something so high that any merit we have cannot reach there. In other words, God relates to us. He reciprocates. And God has kind of wired us up that our actions impact Him. Hashem has made Himself vulnerable to a relationship with us. He has descended from His infinity and made Himself Im to be vulnerable and impacted by our, our actions. And therefore, we can draw God's attention. Every Jew has to know that. Don't ever feel helpless and think you can't reach God. You could. You take out a siddur and you're davening, you're reaching Hashem. You're communicating with God or else don't take a siddur if you can't believe that. That's the truth. You're talking to God Almighty Himself and He is registering what you're saying and He will respond. But the question is, at which level in God are you reaching? Where are you touching Him? How deep in Him are you touching? So we know there's levels upon levels and upon levels. Why is it that tzaddikim can perform miracles? And regular people generally, even if when you get God to answer you, it generally comes more when in, the, in nature. But a spectacular miracle, you need to go to a Rebbe, a Tzaddik for a bracha. The simple reason is because he's connected to higher. He has higher pull. He's pulling from a much higher place, from a less limited place. And therefore, even when it takes a miracle, the Tzaddik can turn it around. A regular person maybe can't. The Tzaddik could turn it around. But then there is a place that no one can reach. As great as a tzaddik you are, higher and higher, higher, places where God is untouchable, He's so infinite, so removed, so above any, any connection to the world, no one can reach Him there. And that's what it means, give me a free gift. Communicate with me from a place where, we, where, where, where you're untouchable, where nothing that... Who's talking? Moshe. Okay, so we're talking about... 
He's got, if there's anybody that's got clout up there, <laughs> if there's anybody that's got a say <laughs> up there in heaven, it's the human being who walks in heaven. He took, you know, he's walking and, he, and he's fighting with the angels. He brings the Torah. He took the Jewish people out of Egypt. Moshe's resume as a godly man is really unmatched, right? And yet, a present means a place where even, it's, it's beyond Moshe's reach. Oh, so this Hanan is super high, super high, super high. Matnas Chinon, gift. So when we start Pasha's Veschanan with the word Veschanan, where are we starting on? We're hitting which notes are we hitting? You ever hear a Chazan that really hits a note? It's like, whoa, how did he, how did he hit that note so high? We're hitting, we're hitting the highest note. Veschanan is a place that no one can touch and yet we're talking Veschanan yeah, in the end the Ebershter didn't give Moshe he will give Moshe whatever it is but we're talking about we're talking about a level so lofty so removed so 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 exalted but hold it we're, 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 it's after the it's not Yom Kippur by Meila now it's not Chodesh uh, Adar Purim it's not where are we now which time of the year are we now we're trying to figure out where we're going to put our tissues that we crying, and where we're going to. This is where we are. We're, we're sitting on the floor. We're beaten. We're broken. We're we're so exiled. We were cast away by God. He he's been echo. We say how you got angry at us. How you, you sent us into exile. You uh, well, what now? Eschanon. You have nothing else to talk about. But Eschanon, a place so high, so deep, so exalted. So it's the same like Nachamu, Nachamu, a double, a double Nachama representing an infinite, an infinite, an infinite um, 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 comfort. And again, the same will also be Parshas Ekev, because we're connecting these two parshios. Parshas Ekev or Ekev Tishmon, same idea. Over there as well, the Pasik says, as a result of you listening, God says, I will keep for you the covenant. The kindness and the oath. I will keep my oath that I made. So the question is, if you're listening, if we're listening, then why do we need God to keep an oath? We deserve. We listen. Listening to God's commandments brings and draws down blessings. So if we listened, we have been downloading the blessing. So we're going to have the blessing. What is God says? If you listen, I will give you the covenant, the kindness, and the oath, implying that we have to come on to like really, really, really deep promises that God made. But why? If we're deserving, we don't need the promise. And the answer is same as we said by Ve'ezchanon. When Hashem says, I will give you, give you, give you, the stuff that are mentioned in Parshas Ekev, we're not talking about small little goodies. We're talking about stuff that we cannot download we don't have the capacity to download because we can't reach so high. And God is giving us incredible gifts, incredible gifts. He's revealing to us from places, goodness that's just ain't self, it's beyond, beyond. And let's go back, hold it. Parshas Akev is talking about the which Jews? What was the other appearance in Akev? Remember we said there's two Pirushim and Ekev. One means after Mashiach comes. 
the good. And one is the last seconds of Golos. It means our service. Again, it's not talking about our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents. They were not living in Akev. We're living in Akev. So you know your Bubby, your old, old Bubby, you know your Zayd in the shtetl. You read stories of the simple Jews. You're reading about how they served God, how deep their connection was, how pure they were, how innocent they were. They were sheltered. They were holy. They were spiritual. Everybody has pictures of the great-grandparents of the shtetl. They look like Elio Anavi. They look like these holy people. And look at their faces. They look like me, like, like great people who lived. And they were. If not for two generations back, then four generations back. We know the Jewish people were, they were so, such great, lofty kind of a service. We're not talking about them. We're talking about today's days. We're talking about all of us coming to shul, doing mitzvahs, giving tzedakah, keeping Shabbos, inviting a guest into your house in the midst of Los Angeles with all the klippa going on around us, with all the mishigas going on around, with all of what we know about ourselves, with all of our failures, with all of our lackings, with all of, and that's the one we're talking about. We're talking about us. We're talking about Akev. Or else you're arguing with the Pasuk. Akev means the heels. They were definitely not more heels than we are. We're definitely more the heel. And heel means tough skin. What's at the heel? Tough skin, insensitive. We don't feel almost anything when we do a mitzvah. We hardly feel anything when we learn, when we daven. We can't compare it to, the, to what once was, the richness of the service. So hold it. If we're so, 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 so at the bottom, if our service is so, 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 so simple, so, so, so elementary, we're very elementary, very unsophisticated spiritually, we're very, very elementary service, how is it that... We go from Akev to such promises, the things that we, it's the same idea of the Eschanon. Immediate, God is giving us from a place that's a free gift. Matnas chinam, free, from above. Hashem is keeping his oath. That means he's unlocking the treasures of treasures, that which has not been revealed to the Arizal, to Reb Shimon Ba Yochai, to anybody. This is going to come pouring down to you. Hold it. How do we, how does that work? So the Rebbe says our entire approach is wrong. Our entire, our entire perspective is wrong. The Rebbe says the answer is right over here in Pasha's Ekev. It's such a powerful answer, the Rebbe says. It takes the Lubavitch Rebbe to say this. He says, it says right away, it says God will keep his oath that he swore to your fathers. He made an oath to your fathers. So the Rebbe says, hold. Stop for a moment. I know you're be, be, belittling yourself. I know you're diminishing yourself. I know you're super humble and you feel like you're a, like a nobody. I know you're beating yourself up because of all the sins you do. I know we are, feel so insignificant and so small and tiny. And it's true, no argument. But you're making a huge mistake. And that is your, you, you know who your father is? You're, you are the son of Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Sararif, you're your royal family. You're right up there. You're so high. You're so godly. You're so incredible great. Oh, no, 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 no. What are you talking about? I hardly can't say three words in davening without 15 distractions. Uh, and I'm not even talking about the, 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 the not nice ones where I'm getting upset at this person and that. <laughs> well, come on. We're unworthy, unworthy. Hold it. First of all, your family. Your family. Your family. You're the Abish's cute grandchildren. That's number one. 
Number two, it's not just your children to Avram, Yitzchak, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. You're God's baby. You're God's one and only child. That's what it is. Every Jew is a one and only child. So here's the story that happens. And he doesn't use this example, but I'm going to use this example. As children, when you get older and you get more developed and become more sophisticated, and you want something from your parent, you have certain you have certain limitations. You try to figure out when you're going to catch them in a good mood, when they're approachable, how you should ask, what you should say, what you should do. There's a lot of you know methods, and you know it's not always the same. Sometimes you have, you know. You feel that you're, it's better for your brother to ask, not you, because for whatever reason you feel that they might get it more than you, or this and that. So always that one child, you say, you know, God, ask mom if we can go to the pizza shop. They'll get it. <laughs> so there's always, there is cheshbonus, there's calculations, there is thoughts of so and so. It's not always, they're not always parents, and you're not always going to get what you want. But when a man is holding a, let me give a good age. I'm going to use my grand little grandson now as an example. Um, four months old child. About four months, five, four or five months old. You know when tiny babies, they grab everything? They don't ask, they grab. And if a father has the most expensive diamond gold watch, and he's sitting with this little baby and he's learning or doing reading a book and he puts his watch down on the table or a mother has an expensive diamond ring. What does the baby do? With the little hand. Goes right for it. No questions. The golden watch. Do they get... No, it might be dangerous for the baby to hold a little diamond ring. That, yeah, so the parent might take it away, but the father taking the child, it's okay. Why is it okay? Because when there is small, tiny, little, just baby, that the baby is the baby because of its, and there's no qualities here that's sophisticated. It's just simply that this is my child. This is my child whom I love infinitely. The child and the father and the parents are one. Whatever belongs to the parent belongs to the child. The famous story of Moshe Rabbeinu grabbing Paro's uh, crown. There was a, he was an adopted child. He wasn't family. <laughs> they got nervous. He's taking the king. But if it was his own child, little child, he's grabbing the crown. He can grab the crown. So the Rebbe says that by virtue of who we are, before we start the whole external discussion, what, where, and when, that's already outside. There is a point where there's nothing matters. There's one thing that we hidden are, and especially the Rebbe says, here's an amazing thing. He says, this idea that we are a tiny little baby and we are his and he has an infinite, boundless, essential love, essential love to each and every one of us is more revealed in our generation than in every other generation. Why? Because we are so spiritually undeveloped and so spiritually poor. It is a matter of of reality, that we are the Akev generation. And the Akev generation doesn't do much, but simple. We don't have the capacity, the great spiritual capacity of the earlier generations, which were very great people. We're simple. And I don't mean simple that we don't know. 
we, we know, but, but, but we learn a lot. We go to classes today maybe more than we've gone in the past, and we're more educated, but the education is not really penetrating into our everyday real inner consciousness. Our inner consciousness is very dark. And even though we're very dark, we perform mitzvahs. Why? Because of our essential bond with God. And that essential bond with God is, is literally like the little baby and the little child that it's not even, there's no, there's no discussion whether you could reach for the golden watch, you could reach for the diamond ring, you could, that's what a child does. And the parent is perfectly okay with the baby, there's no anger and upsetness, that's what, that's, that, that's what it is to have a little baby. It's, it's on that level, it's that connection. So it's interesting that I was a Dafkan these weeks right after Tisha B'Av, when we hit rock bottom and we're really at this moment, it's at this moment that we, can, we have access to what we don't have access throughout all the highest moments in history. When we are people with great qualities and we reach certain levels, then you have to really ask where you can reach Hashem, what you can, what you can ask for, which level you can touch, what you can't touch. Ooh, this rabbi, he's a tzaddik, let's go to him, he can do it. No, 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 now. Now in our generation, as we are at the simplest, at the lowest, we are like, all there is left to us is the fact that we are his children, nothing more. After we're so beaten, after we are so broken, after we have been through, and taking it back to our experience this year, for whatever godly reason we don't understand that we have to go through what we've gone through, we are broken, we are, we're strong on the inside, but we've been through so beyond, and yet we're, we're still Jewish, and we still want to do mitzvahs, and we have faith that Mashiach is coming, and we want to do our best and we keep on getting up even if we fall and again and again and again this is like unbelievable and this touches at the core of the bond between Hashem and the Jewish people and that and for that reason at this moment we are we could receive infinite comfort we can touch eschanon we can touch matnas chinam we can touch God as deep as possible. Now, I shouldn't say as deep as possible. We can touch Hashem at His very core, higher than any other time in history, higher than any other people, higher than all the tzaddikim of all the generations, because, because, Ekev, because, the, this, this is the idea, the Ava Atzmis, the essential love that God has to the Jewish people is now revealed. Heard a story the other week. Uh, the the holy Bardichever, the holy Bardichever, once on Sukkot. I'm just going to try to illustrate just a little bit this idea. Maybe it's connected. I heard it last week, and I'm I'm making the connection, I guess, because I heard the story last week, and I think it's connected. So the holy Bardichever in his shul one time on Sukkot started walking around the shul, sniffing, sniffing, sniffing. And he and looking at all, everybody's esrik. He's looking around, and then he finds one Jew in the back, and he starts walking towards him. And that Jew is like walking away. He's trying to avoid the bardichever, but the bardichever is coming after him. And he catches up with him, and he says, "Show me your esrik." And he's uncomfortable. So that's eh, kind of simple esrik. The bardichever takes the esrik, and he's looking at it, looking at it, smiling, and and he asks him, "Would you get this esrik?" He's kind of embarrassed. 
And he said, Brother Joseph, where'd you get this Ezra? So he says, every year I put away, all, I put away money for an Ezra. Guy wasn't a wealthy guy, but he made a living. Put away money for an Ezra. Put away. And he gathered. This was his savings all year long. And every year he bought a really nice Ezra. And that's, he wasn't just his own Ezra. Everybody used to come shake with his Ezra, because it was like the beautiful Ezra. So it was a few days before Sukkot, and he had, um, and he needed an esrog. So he was on his way to buy an esrog, and he had stopped in an inn or something, and he sees someone who looks very sad, crying off in the corner. He's fairly broken. So he goes over, he sees a Jew, he says, what's wrong, can I help you? And the guy tells him story, I don't remember what it was, what was it, it was a financial situation where he needed uh, oh, his horse died. And he was a wagon driver. He was a wagon driver. His horse died. And he was so, he, without the horse, he was going to starve. He had, and he had no he had not, he had not money to buy a new horse. So he found out how much the horse cost. And the price of the horse was exactly what he had put away for the Ezra. So obviously there was a deep internal, this is his life, this is, this is his mitzvah. This is, it's, it's not his gashmias, it's his ruchnias, it's his spiritual, this is his connection. It's his, Pesach, eh, Hanukkah, eh, Sukkot, for him it's the Sukkah, it's, it's the Ezra, that's the not to show off deeply. He really cares about this mitzvah. And this is the money he put away. You know how many things he didn't give in? You know how many luxuries? You know how many times his wife needed money he didn't give her? Because he's putting away for the Esrug. This is the money. And this yid needs it. He takes the whole money and gives it to him. Exactly. The guy was so happy. And he went and he bought himself a new horse. He says, I didn't have any money. I had a few, a little bit extra change. I went and I bought the cheapest Esrug and this is it. What happened? The Baditchava later said, or I don't know if he told him or he told. He said, This guy who went and he bought the horse was so, so excited, so enormously excited. And to him, this was a Leo Wanavi, because he had no idea, he never knew this guy. Someone just dropped him the entire sum of money. They didn't give him like half, go raise the rest. They gave him the entire thing just out of the, he was crying. A Jew comes from nowhere, gives him this, they must have been Elijah the prophet. Elio Anavi gave him this money. He was so excited. He felt so overwhelmingly, overwhelmed gratitude to Hashem for giving him this amazing Ezra that he went out with his wagon and he was driving out there in the road. No one was around. And he suddenly got overwhelmed with gratitude to Hashem. And he, and he wanted to thank Hashem, but he didn't know how. Because he was a simple person. And what do you do to thank Hashem? So he took his whip, and he knew how to hit the whip. And he went in the, in the air, and he went... And he swacked that, that whip like three times in the air. And he said, this is for you, Hashem. Bang, once. This is thank you to you. Like hallelujah. This was his way. Three whips in the, sky, in the, in the air. And this was his. And the Baditra said, wow, you should have seen what those whips did up there. This is like <laughs> what these whips did. It was like the whipping of the simple Jews, thanking God. He doesn't even know how to express it. Just with that simple whip, touched God on a level that no one has in years as it reached at the very core. So we look at these Yidden, these were the Balshemtiv Jews. At the days of the Balshemtiv, these were the simple Jews. They were like the little baby that was simple. Now, we don't even have the art of being simple, you see. So where are we stand today? We're even deeper than simple. We're just essence. Not even expressing the simplicity, just the essence. We're Jewish. We're Yidden. We're the Abishas children. 
And because of that, there's no limit. There is no limit. And when is, and, but, but here's the point. It's dafka when it is dark and we're at the bottom and we're at the end. And dafka when we are not sophisticated and not, and, and, and it's like a little child when he opens a siddur. So you see with little children. When a little child davens to God, davens to Hashem, he's not directing it to any spiritual manifestations of God because he doesn't know anything about spiritual manifestations. He knows the Eberster. So when the kid, the little kid, he knows Hashem. Hashem yeah. So therefore when the little child is talking to God, he's talking to God's essence, not to any projections, lights. Once we start getting a little more advanced and a little more sophisticated, then we get caught up in the expressions and in the re- revelations. And that's taking away from it. So the Rebbe says, Dafka, the generation of Akev, Dafka, the last moments before Mashiach comes, we merit Nachamu, Nachamu from the very essence of God. We merit Matnas Chinam. That's why the Rebbe says Rashi doesn't say anything about Moshe asking. Rashi says, Ein Chinun Ella Matnas Chinam. It's like a little child that grabs and takes everything. We take, then you have to teach children not to grab. That's a later. But when they're children, when they're very young, they grab and they have a right to grab because they're a little, they're a little baby. At this moment, we can. Here's the thing. At this moment, what do we need to do? We need to grab it all. We need to grab it all. We need to just. And what, what does it mean to grab it all? We grab Moshiach. We grab the full geula. Ooh, how about the Chayza from Lublin tried to bring Mashiach? Ramendel of Rimenovich tried to bring Mashiach. The Yismach Moshe fought his entire life, tried to bring the Mashiach. Chafetz Chaim tried to bring the Mashiach. This one tried to bring the Mashiach. That one, everybody tried to bring the Mashiach. The Rebbe was working all of his life to bring the Mashiach. And, and what? So I, yeah, yeah, us. Yeah, we, by what? Go for it. We need to go for it. We need to go for the end because we're the only ones who can. Because of the uniqueness of the Akev Yidin at the last second. And that's the power of the time, the power of the parsha, And it's a unique message to each and every one. From the pits to the heights. Instantly. Because we're 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 the differences between levels is only when you're living in sophistication in the external worlds of revelations. We are a different generation. We access essence because all we have is essence. And on the level of essence, there's no higher and lower. Because that very child, you know, can take the most insignificant thing of the parent. You know, can play with a penny in their, in their, in their pocketbook. But at the same time, they can take the diamond ring of the mother. The, the child can take the most... Uh, I was playing with my little grandson today. And um, someone, uh, whatever, and, and, and someone brought me a picture from the Rebbe. Just, someone came to deliver me some tzedakah money. And with the money, I didn't, even, I didn't even notice. He gave me a very nice picture from Trainer Studio. Very nice picture. So I, I needed something for my grandson. I didn't give him the money. I gave him the picture from the Rebbe. He's very small. So he was like with his little hands, grabbed the picture. And what did he do? Immediately he was putting it in his mouth, the little picture. And I said, okay, good, take the Rebbe, internalize it. I was thinking, internalize it. <laughs> but, 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 but I'm thinking, like, and it was a really nice picture, I think. I didn't think it wanted to get crumpled. It shouldn't get crumpled. Was it? But, but, but at the moment when the baby's holding it and grabbing it and putting it in his mouth, I'm like, okay. <laughs> 
it's fine. It's fine. That, that's exactly where we're standing right now. We can get away with no, what, what no other generation can get away. We can grab it all. And that's it. L'chaim. <laughs>